Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah Shan. Joining me today, very special guest, Hercules Gomez, uh, former Sounder, ESPN uh, analyst, ESPN commentator, you know, you know, Hercules Gomez. <laughs> How you doing, my man? Good, good. Well, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. We, we talked uh, before the Leon series. I That's wanted right. to have you back to talk Pumas. What, like one of the things that caught my attention, you and, and Sebastian Salazar were talking on Football Americas and you basically called the Sounders favorites in this, which sounds like a crazy idea for an MLS team to be favored over a Liga Amekis team. But, you know, you looking at the data, I think it's well supported. Yeah, absolutely. It, don't be, don't be afraid to be called favorites to consider yourselves favorites because you are at least on paper, you know, right. um, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the paper says at the end of the game. Once that little ball, little round ball starts rolling around on that floor, it's a different story. Uh, but Seattle without a doubt should be considered favorites. Uh, Player, player personnel, uh, actual moments, um, individual talents, uh, I would say recent history, et cetera, et cetera, uh, roster makeup, whatever you want to call it, whatever you would like to dive into, they're, they're considered favorites. Uh, right now, Pumas is a team that it's fallen on financial like hardship. I would say the last seven, eight, maybe decade, I was seven, eight years. And if not decade, you've seen a shift in, in the way that Pumas operates and Pumas, which is historically considered one of the top, you know, four teams, uh, Los Grandes, these big teams, like you hear the big six in England, you know, in the premier league, well, there's a big four um, in Mexico. And that is made up of America, Chivas, Cruz Azul and Pumas. And now we're seeing a little bit of a, a shift in that power dynamic where the teams in the North and specifically too, and, and Monterrey and Tigres have a lot of financial wealth and that's moving and kind of shifting the needle of this power and kind of the titles and where things are going. Then you have Santos Laguna who's doing things very well as, you know, uh, very good as well. So things are kind of changing and Pumas has kind of not maintained that pace. Um, I believe their last league title was maybe 2010, if memory serves me correct. But they're a team that used to be known for a few things. Very good foreign players. Back when foreign players were very scarce in, in Mexican soccer and Liga Mekis, you were only allowed four. Uh, they brought in very good foreign players. Players like Tuca Ferretti, yeah, that Tigres coach, now the Juarez coach. He was a very good player for Pumas, legendary player. Hugo Sanchez, you know, uh, these type of players. And then as recently as players like Hector Moreno, uh, players uh, for the Mexican national team, they always had big players, and he's not foreign, but they always had big players and they had a good cantera, which is a 
academy system. So they, they played the young guys, they played the young players. And somewhere along the lines over the last decade, they've lost that base. They've lost touch with who they were uh, and what they were about. They're owned by this university. And this university kind of started saying, we're going to stop investing as much as we can in this team and we're going to pull it back. And with pulling it back, there's no more transfers of players. Um, there's transfers going out. All their best players leave. They sell them. Uh, the players that they do bring in are on free transfers. Um, they're on their second wins, if you will. Uh, players who weren't main players or protagonists on other teams who kind of are brought here um, to Pumas in an effort just to keep the team afloat. And Lilini, I believe it was three years ago, maybe a little longer, uh, four years ago, was an academy director, the coach they have right now, Andres Lilini. And literally two days before the season starts, Michel, uh, a prominent uh, Spanish uh, player in his time, coach of Pumas, decides to leave. Personal matters, he's done with it. He just says, hey, I'm out of Pumas. He leaves. A few days before the season even starts, Lilini takes over, and the team's like in disarray. Uh, it ended up being the best thing that probably ever happened to Pumas. Lilini has been a godsend for Pumas. He's, he's managed to bring a collection of the kind of like these bad news bears together and make the collective the strength. And in that time, they've had some hardship, yes, but they've won some very big games. They've been in two finals already, won some very, very big games. This is the second final, I should say. Won some very big games, one of those being a uh, semifinal versus Cruz Azul, where they're down 4-0, bring it back end up tying the game on aggregate uh, and, and pass because they were the higher-seeded team. Um, they've got some big games in them. They surprise all the time. Every time you count them out, every time you say they are the underdog, they prove you wrong. He proves you wrong. It, it, so this is when I say, like, on paper, Seattle's the favorite easily because this team, Pumas, doesn't have the roster of a Seattle Sounders. They don't have the payroll of a Seattle Sounders. They don't have the pedigree, these players, of the players of the Seattle Sounders, but collectively as a unit, they punch way above their weight. Yeah. And so I guess that sort of explains how they find themselves in the position they're in today. Uh, they of course had one of those big comebacks against uh, New England revolution. They were, they lost the first like three zero. They looked like they were completely out of it. And then they come storming back and they, they end up winning on penalties. Uh, and then of course they, they beat Cruz Azul who that, I, I don't know that, we really appreciated it here. That's a huge win. That was a big rivalry for them, right? Yeah, it's a huge rivalry. It's, it's a derby. Um, Capitolino right there. They're both in the same city. Uh, two massive and rabid fan bases. That one didn't come as much a surprise, as a surprise to me. Um, and I had Cruz Azul as my favorite in the tournament. I thought they were going to win. Um, but about a week before they actually had the matchup versus Pumas, a lot of their key players are out. We're out and not available for that series. And once that happened, once I saw who was not there, I was like, this is, this is not good for, for Cruz Azul. Pumas is going gonna, is gonna to do what they do, and they're going to edge by him. Um, and they did very well. Uh, Jesus Corona, and many will point out to his age, and be like, how is a 40-plus-year-old goalkeeper so important to his team? But imagine that. He's that important to his team. Escobar, uh, the, the center back, um, outside back as well, who was one of the leading goal scorers of their team, out. Um, Charlie Rodriguez, who was a uh, central or focal piece for Juan Reynoso's team, um, who comes in from Monterrey in a swap for Luis Romo, uh, revitalized his career. All of a sudden, he's, he's this player that on both in the ends of the field is, is massively 
producing. Um, you know, I think he had like six goals and uh, six assists combo um, through both club competitions. He was that important of a player. Uh, so once that happened and you see kind of who's out there and no more Jonathan uh, Rodriguez, no more, no more Cabecita for Cruz Azul, you kind of saw the writing on the wall. And Pumas, I mean, they're a different team in this cup. They're, they're, the one thing people don't realize is sometimes, and you see it when you see cup competitions abroad, there are two different teams. There's a form of one team in league play and there's a form of one team in cup play, actually, the Seattle Sounders could attest to that. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's exactly exactly what it is, and they're very good in cup play right now. Dineno is two different people. This forward that they have is two different people. Juan Dineno is two different people in his club form for league and his club form when it comes to this cup. I mean, it is night and day. Um, so once you saw that, you know, uh, they they're more than uh, capable of pulling upsets uh, to any team in this continent. So you, you mentioned Dineno. Uh, he's got, I think, seven goals during this tournament. What kind of player is he? Is he some, like how, how worried should the Sounders be about him? It seems like that's probably their danger man. Yeah, I would say he's the danger man for finishing off pieces or finishing off plays. Um, he's a very good forward, very complete. He's got good size to him. He's got soft feet. He combines very well. He attacks the space. He's very mobile for his size, um, and he's very good in the air. Um, he's also very uh, attentive to airs and the way that Raul is. Raul Riaz, like he, he's roaming in and around the box, and it's just like if you're a defender, you can't not be with him at all times. You can't not let your guard down. You can't like not have a bad touch because he will pounce on it. He's very much that type of forward as well. Um, he's a danger man at finishing it off, but I really think the danger man for Pumas is actually their right back, Alan Mosso. Um, He's a guy who's not really getting a lot of his due with Tata Martino right now, um, but he's a leading assist man in, in Mexico amongst Mexican players. Uh, he's a menace down that right-hand uh, wing, uh, the right-hand side. He strikes a very good ball. Uh, he's very good at attacking uh, spaces. He's very good at finding players, whether it's to their feet or their head. He's got a good footballing brain in the final third, in attack, uh, He's a liability defensively. He's a player that leaves a lot of space behind him. He's a player that doesn't defend very well. But everything else, if we're talking about attacking-wise, he's probably the danger man for me. That's, that's a lot of where their creation comes from. And so speaking of defense, one of the big absences, it seems, for this first leg is uh, Arturo Ortiz, who picked up a second, I think it was a, was it a red card or a second yellow against uh, Cruz Azul. But he's, he's suspended yeah. for this game. Uh, he's been, my understanding, he's been basically their best center back, uh, maybe for the year, but certainly throughout the tournament. Uh, how, how big of an absence is that? Well, if you look at what he does on both sides of the ball, he's a, he's a huge absence because he, he actually gets on the end of a lot of set pieces. Um, he's, he's one of the stronger players on set pieces, and he scored uh, quite a few amount of goals for being a center back. Um, he's a player who not too long ago was playing second division football in Mexico. Uh, long and forgotten. One of these players that I just mentioned that Pumas, you know, brings in and kind of gives like a, a second opportunity to, and he's made the most of it. I mean, he's called up for the Mexican national team in this friendly versus Guatemala precisely because he's not going to play uh, the CONCACAF Champions League first leg. Um, he's a very good player, uh, but it, it's it's been this way for, for Pumas for I don't know how long where they're missing a player. A player is injured and it's the next man steps up. Um, kind of like it's been with the Seattle Sounders, this mentality of next man up you know, mentality, except that's who they have. They don't have the luxury of having a, a deep roster. 
Um, right. That's why when they have a run of form, when they have illness and injury, they can get in trouble, but they seem to just punch above their weight. But Ortiz is a big reason of why they've been uh, doing so well. They're by no means a defensive team, though. They, they are a team that affords you spaces. They're just a team that's always in it. Yeah. One of the things that I was struck by in looking at their roster is, you know, traditionally you like traditionally Liga Mackey's has dominated MLS, but you can explain the reasons they have more expensive players. They have better players. They have more experienced players. They have a deeper roster. You go down the list and these are all things they can check off. Yeah, No salary uh, cap, no salary cap. But when you compare Pumas and Sounders, like you can kind of throw all that out the window because the Sounders have the advantage almost across the board. Uh, the most notable, I think, of that is in the roster depth, where once you get beyond the starters, it looks like these are mostly younger players that don't have a lot of experience, whereas the Sounders do bring some uh, veteran experience off the bench. Yeah, Ruvalcaba would be an example of that, I mean, a year and a half ago, he was playing high school soccer in Southern Cal, you know? <laughs> and he comes on, and he's been one of the most like important players, this Mexican-American kid. Um, he, he's got like three goals, I believe, in the season. Um, so they're getting production out of everywhere. When, when Sebastian Salcedo is healthy, he's been a very important player. They're just a team, if I, could, if I can explain him the most simple possible way, it's that prize fighter that you don't want to leave around. You could be winning points-wise, but you don't want to leave him around in the later rounds because no he's matter how... He's got that how, knockout punch. Yeah, he's got that knockout punch. And that's who they are. Um, I, I called their game against... New York, you know, New York City in the League's Cup. And it was a crazy atmosphere game. And what I mean by that is, you know, I'm sitting at my home in my home setup and I'm calling the game and there's a, a rainstorm and thunders and a thunderstorm and whatnot. And the game gets, you know, suspended for, I believe, an hour and a half, two hours, resumes again. Uh, New York City's dominating them. They just can't finish. This team had literally second division players that they called up from Tampico or whatever, or I think it was Tampico, wherever their second division team is uh, available for this game. They've got nobody available. They've got nobody around, but they're still in the game. Um, long story short, they tie it and send it to penalties and they win. They're just that type of team that stick around. If you allow a team like that to stick around, it's going to bite you in the butt. And that's the one thing with the Sounders in this tournament. They've been very good. I believe they've only given up one goal um, at home. They've been very no goals very at home at, or no one goal at home. You're right. Yeah. One yeah. goal at home, two one goal, goal. Yeah. One goal at home. Yeah. One goal at home. Um, but if you look at the amount of opportunities that they've wasted, how wasteful the Sounders have been in front of goal, even though they win three zero, even though they're scoring multiple goals, even though it's been a route, whatever the case may be, you always leave the game at Lumen field with the sense that the Sounders could have done a lot more damage. Um, I don't think this is a team you can afford to leave around. Um, evidence of that, Pumas versus New England. So make of it what you will. Uh, they're a team that's very dangerous. So one of the other sort of X factors I was, I'm, I'm curious about going into this one is the Sounders have been able to sort of set up their schedule. MLS has worked with the Sounders to set up their schedule in a way that, you know, makes it as optimal as possible. They don't have to play a midweek game between the two legs. Uh, they have a, a game on the West coast uh, on, in San Jose on Saturday, but then they don't, then they're able to sort of like have a normal cadence to the game. Uh, Pumas on the other hand, are fighting for their playoff life. Uh, this is yeah. the this is the end of the league Mackey season. So I think they have two games left in their regular season. They are sort of on the verge of, of qualifying for their for their playoff. 
Uh, they have a game against Chivas this weekend, and then they have another game against, I think, Pachuca midweek between the two legs. How big of a factor is that? And and is this a team that is going to have to make some choices, or are they just going to throw caution to the wind and and uh, use starters all the way through for every, all so, four of these games? So as of tomorrow, which we are on the 22nd, so as of the 23rd, they will have four, eight. They'll have four games in 12 days, and they are currently sitting in 11th. With 19 points, Leon 19, and Toluca, who's in 13th, 18. Only 12 teams make it through to the dance. Um, eight of those being repechaje, like wild card, four directly. So they'll be fighting for one of those that'll be in the wild card. Um, by no means will it be easy. Chivas is undefeated since they fired Michelle Año. Um, so that'll be a difficult game. And Pachuca is the league leader right now. So they definitely will have a decision to make. Um, I just think the position they are in as a club, uh, this tournament, CONCACAF Champions League, makes them relevant, uh, makes it well worth it. Could change a lot of their fortunes uh, as far as sponsors, as far as money being invested into Pumas, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, they do get thin um, with their depth. Absolutely. Uh, But I cannot stress enough how much this team is used to that. I've sat here for the last two years, five days a week, um, talking Mexican football, talking Liga Mekis in Spanish for ESPN Deportes. And I can't tell you how many times I've counted Pumas out and how many times they have proved us wrong. Andres Lilini is one of the most respected managers in Mexican football right now for that very reason. Yeah, it's it definitely strikes me as one of these matchups that could go like on like it's hard to escape the idea that the Sounders are the favorites on paper, but like you said, there's a lot of reasons not to count Pumas out and not the least of which is, I I don't know how much we are able to appreciate this here because this is such a potentially big monumental thing for MLS and for the Sounders to finally win uh, CONCACAF champions league. But Pumas don't care about the history of Liga Amekis. I imagine they're looking at this more as, this is our chance to win this competition for the first time since 1989. And I, I believe they're also carrying if they, if they carry this, this scarlet letter of being the last league at Mackey's team to the not only. win the only, to not win a final. Right. Yeah. To, the only in the modern era, because uh, I believe uh, DC United um, might've beat Toluca. I think it was, uh, but in the modern era, uh, they're the only in this tournament's format. They're the only Mexican club to lose a final. Uh, they lost it to Saprissa back in 2005, six, I think. six? something like yes. that. Yeah. One of those yeah. two, um, that very good Saprissa team. So that would be, I guess, a scarlet letter if, if you want. Um, but this team's been out of the four big clubs that I just mentioned, Mexican soccer, Chivas, Cruz Azul, you know, Pumas and, and America, they are by far the thinnest. They are by far the, less fortunate when it comes to their financial situation. They are by far less prominent in attention when it comes to the national media, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, this to them would be massive. This to them would be um, icing on an already impressive cake that Andres Lillini has has managed to bake for himself and and for this club. Uh, It it gives them relevance. Uh, It may give them that financial stability they're looking for as well, because 
if you see that a manager does well with what he's given, well, that may incentivize ownership or uh, the university to invest a little more to see what they can get out of it. So this is massive for them. Um, I can't understate that. Um, for Seattle, I mean, to be the club, Seattle to me is the bar of major league soccer. Like if you were to pick a team that you think exemplifies what a super club is in major league soccer, for me, it's the Seattle Sounders. It's the history, it's the culture. Um, and with that culture comes winning. It's the trophies, it's the finals, it's how serious they take lifting trophies. Uh, it's the players, it's the star power, it's the fan base. You know, it's the environment, the package, they have it all. To be the first club to actually get there to a club World Cup, that would be something massive for the Seattle Sounders and I think more massive for its fan base. Yeah, and I, I mean, and bias aside, I think it would be, there is a fittingness to it that the Sounders who have, you know, put in all the sweat equity that they've put in to get to this point, you know, it's it's not like they turned it over and and suddenly they're here. Like this is a 13-year project that they've been working toward, that they've been talking about, frankly, since 2010 when they, you know, when they first started playing those friendlies against Barcelona and Chelsea, they were talking about like, no, we want to play in, the, in a competition against these teams too. And uh, and so it's been I'm a long journey. You, Jeremiah, I, I remember playing this tournament, this competition with Santos Laguna against the Seattle Sounders. <laughs> I remember yes. how close the Seattle Sounders got. I remember this tournament vividly. I know how important this tournament is for Major League Soccer. I know how fitting it would be for the Seattle Sounders. Um, we're seeing a league in Major League Soccer of the has and haves nots, right? Um, absentee owners who don't care. It's a stock option for them. They just want to see other owners do the work and have their stock uh, price shoot up. And active owners who care, who invest, who want to win, who are competitive, uh, who are emotionally invested themselves. Um, that is, that, that's the Seattle Sounders right there. I mean, Adrian Hanover is at every single game. Adrian yeah. Hanover, uh, he's at the cup games. He's at the CONCACAF Champions League games. Um, he does Yelling in anger when things don't go his way. He's vacationed with Alejandro Iraragori, who's the uh, president owner of two Liga Mekis clubs, Atlas and Santos. Like, he, he wants to get better. He wants the Seattle Sounders to get better. He's taking this seriously. And you can tell. Well, uh, Herc, you've been great. You've educated us immensely about the challenge that is ahead for the Sounders. I think we feel like we are better. We, we understand Pumas much better than we did before. And as always, I, I can't recommend your you and Seb's show is seriously my favorite soccer show on TV. Uh, Football America, so you can watch it on ESPN+. Plus. Is it also on ESPN? Uh, no, just ESPN Plus, and it's in a podcast version as well, or form, and all over YouTube as well. I appreciate everybody watching. Honestly, uh, long time coming. We wanted this type of show, and it's uh, for the fans. So let's let's keep it going because uh, we're going to be in Qatar, and we're going to be here uh, for a long time. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for doing this, and uh, we'll catch you next time. I'm Jeremiah Shan, and this is the Sounder at Heart Podcast. <laughs>